0: I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And today we're going to continue our discussion on uh John Frame's Apologetics. Uh so welcome to Cade to the Cross Apologetics. Frame's book is uh, a, a, you know, a um, one of the kind of classic texts here on presuppositionalism. And so we've been working our way through it, we've reached chapter three: apologetics as proof, right? Now, most folks would say, well, wait a minute, I thought he was a presuppositionalist. What's he doing talking about proof? <laughs> well, you know, presuppositionalists can talk about proof and can use, you know, arguments and evidences in their, uh, you know, uh, presuppositional uh, approach to apologetics. Uh, he's already worked us uh, through, you know, various ideas with regard to, to proof. And what we've landed on um, from last time is this area of the need for proof, right? The need for proof. And he says here that in one sense, not everybody needs a theistic proof, right? Some people such as uh, W.K. Clifford, you know, um, have said that it's wrong to believe anything without evidence, right? So uh, if you, you know, many times when you take an introduction uh, to philosophy class, uh, in school, Clifford is mentioned uh, because he, you know, says, hey, you know, not having enough evidence is not only irrational, but unethical. He says he argues that, you know, it's our ethical responsibility to and, have enough evidence for our beliefs.
1: And, and he, so he, um, does he present evidence for all those things and all those claims? Because <laughs> I, I, well, I can't believe it without evidence. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you know, he yeah, some of his illustrations, you, there is evidence, right? And so you kind of ask yourself, well, you know, what do you how much evidence do you need, Clifford? Because there <laughs> is some evidence, right? But anyway, uh, you know, uh Frame says initially Clifford's claim is is rather plausible, right? That you do you do you shouldn't believe things without evidence. But he says this view has been effectively countered in our time by philosophers Alan Plantica and Nicholas story and uh, they point out that we believe many things that uh, that we do and without uh you know necessarily having proof right um for instance that other people's uh minds are like ours right uh, so you know it's very difficult to to have a proposition to prove that someone is you know uh has a mind right? How do I know that, um, how do I know other people have minds like I have a mind? It could be just, you know, robots or whatever, right? Right. What kind of evidence do I have for that? Well, they're acting the same way you do. So what, right? Or here's another one. How about um, the, uh, the earth popped into existence with all my experiences five minutes ago? Well, what's the proof that that didn't happen?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Why well, it's pretty hard to come up with proof for that. Right? right. And so the point here is that we do we don't believe that. And we do believe that other people have minds. And so there are many things that we uh, that we believe that we can't necessarily true uh, believe, the, you know, have proof for. And that's the point that he's trying to make here. So they kind of, you know, they defeat Clifford's claim by these various counter examples.
1: Right. And uh, frame goes on to say that he actually agrees uh, with Clifford that we should not believe anything without having evidence in the objective sense. That is that one should not believe anything unless there is an objective evidence to support it. He says that he believes that uh, there is more than adequate evidence for the truth of Christianity but he does not believe that someone must be able to formulate a proof using the evidence in order to justify his belief in Christ, uh, you you know, um, uh, I think it was a book that we've read offline, uh, where, uh, you know, uh, my grandmother looked at a a sunset and at that point she became a believer in Christ. Well, no, no, you, you can't believe based on that. No, no. That's how I became a believer was looking at the sunset and you know, it overwhelmed me for, for the the uh, magnif- uh, magnificence of creation, and that's that's how I became to believe. Well, no, you're just wrong. Okay, I, I might be wrong <laughs> in my belief, but how I uh, justify my belief is 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 through that. And so I right. I don't know how you how you how you get around that.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's similar to the to the uh, illustration he's going to use here. He says evidence has its own persuasive value, quite apart from our verbal formulations of it, right? Our arguments, right? So he says when I see someone um you know on his drive home um and they are in a postal service truck they're wearing a uniform right they're headed toward his house <laughs> he infers that that person is going to bring him mail go figure right <laughs> now notice he says why bother with a syllogism right the objective evidence is sufficient. What's the objective evidence? Well, they're in a postal truck, they have a uniform, and they're coming up to his house. What else do you need? So we do we need to have an argument for that? No, our experience is the evidence that we need, right? So the objective evidence, he says, is sufficient. Formulating a subjective argument will only waste time. Coming up with a syllogism that proves that is just a waste of time. We don't need that we also can't. Says, we
1: also can't uh ask that postal service uh person because uh you know people can lie to us and and we can't have revelation <laughs> as a form of proof so we definitely yeah. can't ask that's right yeah
0: so he says when we consider the heavens this is you know he's, he's he's alluding here to uh psalm 8 3 and observe the incredible vastness of the universe and the magnificence of its order that experience just like our experience of the postal worker has a persuasive value equal to and perhaps beyond that of any verbal teleological or cosmological argument. Like, <laughs> why do we need those when we've observed all of this, you know, in in um, in 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 the universe? And right. it's the same way. We don't need an argument when we see the postal worker coming up toward our house with papers in his hands, and we he suggests, why do we even need an argument? when we observe the incredible vastness, magnificence, and order of the universe. It is its argument.
1: <laughs> this is indeed, Scripture teaches that God's existence is obvious, and many of us would testify that His existence is obvious to us as well scripture never argues the existence of god rather it states that he is clearly revealed As Roman one good old romans one tells us and it's ridiculous and it, it uh it's, it's ridiculous to believe otherwise and in fact it ridicules those who deny him in psalm 14 1. Uh, still as we have saw, seen in previous sections there are some who claim that proof is necessary for them and we have seen scripture does move more than simply rebuke them it provides more persuasive testimony of God's uh, reality, and also points us to sources outside of itself where more testimony can be found. So again, right. it's, so, it's, it's not just nope, just believe me. It, it does even Scripture does point to those things. We have Paul going to Mars Hill, and he presents both a presuppositional account, but then he also provides evidence of yeah for those things.
0: Yeah, and in the same way, the illustration that we saw last time with regard to the resurrection, right? They they believed uh, based on the apostolic preaching, but there were also witnesses. So this is external to the scriptures. There were evidences, other evidences outside the scripture that people could uh, pursue as well. And so he says, once we get beyond simple pointing the unbeliever to the creation and the statements of scripture, proof becomes fairly, you know, kind of complicated. He says, it's interesting, though, in this connection to ask how people actually come to faith in Christ, right? This is a really interesting question, right? right? So we think, well, maybe we just need arguments to persuade people. Is that how they come to faith? Well, he says, based on his observation, uh, few Christians, when asked to list the factors uh, that led them to trust in Christ, list any argument or proof at all. Now, some do, right? A few, but not very many. He says, most, you know, for most uh Christian believers. The issue is not intellectual for them. Christianity wasn't in, um, in an intellectual sense, believable enough. The issue was rather that the person was not yet motivated to repent of sin, seek forgiveness and obey the Christian revelation. That was the issue. It wasn't right. necessarily lack of
1: evidence. Right. Right. And so it's amazing how many uh, deconverters uh, just want to sleep with their girlfriends type deal. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that motivation of a supernatural in origins comes through various experiences often merely a very vivid retelling of the gospel of jesus especially such retelling connected by loving uh you know winsome behavior then comes a theistic proof possibly unstated but representing the following kind of sort of thought process well here's premise one if jesus is lord and savior then he is reliable premise two if he is reliable then god exists premise three he is lord and savior and conclusion therefore god exists again this is somewhat a narrowly circular argument but is very persuasive to many it represents the actual thought process that brings many to a faith in god and you know we, we see this with the resurrection proofs this is this is a, a, along those same ones of you know if jesus rose from the dead and he said he would uh, be, uh, to, to show that he was god then um uh, this would be kind of ultimate proof wouldn't it not be here let me show you the minimal facts arguments here let me show you uh, the uh, undesigned uh, coincidences in scripture. And uh, okay, that's pretty convincing. Well, he might be Lord and Savior, and therefore God exists. All right,
0: exactly. And so he says apologists often routinely assume that an inquirer must consider theistic proofs before he or she considers a specific case of Christianity. But he says in, the, in in real life, the reverse is, is, um, order is often uh, the case. <laughs> it is Jesus who assures us that God is real. And so it, oftentimes he's suggesting here, it's just the reverse of what we might think. There isn't, there is, the, 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 there's, uh, it's not the proof that does it, right? It's the fact that Jesus is who he says it is. And then once we trust that uh, we can come along and look at some types of proof. Mm-hmm. And so, he thinks oftentimes we get the, uh, the, uh, the order revert. in real life. What really happens in real life with regard to conversion is just the opposite of what we think is the case. Right.
1: Right. And, and, you know, we, we do see, uh, you know, uh, growing in our, in our salvation and our sanctification, you know, what do we look for? We look for other things to, uh, to, 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 to fill our kind of, um, our knowledge basket of who God is. And so, you know, uh, the, the scriptures talk about, you know, first you start with milk and then you move on to the meat. And, you know, there are things in there like, okay, so if all, if, if you know, all events in human history are designed by God, can I see God's active hand in history? That's one or scientific proof or, uh, you know, how, how, how mathematics is able to work, how it's able to be known. Uh, how about uh, ethicists who, who um, go based on, uh, how about economy? Uh, uh, you know, uh, monetary value in in God's world, and and how that seems to uh, have an objective uh, standard uh, in in the world, even though it's uh, subjective to person. There's still objective truths of of economics that that uh, seem to be embedded in the universe itself. And so, you know, where do those things come from? Or you even look into. Okay, well, you know, I, I believe that Jesus existed, but are there other, uh, you know, uh, exterior sources of of Jesus in history? Jesus is a figure of history, so we would expect to find, you know, historical events surrounding it, like uh, the, the Pool of Siloam. Oh, look, it's uh, suddenly been uh, uh, excavated. And, you know, the, the, the description of, of what we see in the New Testament is is what we see uh, being uncovered. And so that just lends further, uh, you know, kind of proof and the, the building up in our minds of Of the confidence that that we have in in what Scripture says, but ultimately we derive back to the source of of Scripture as our ultimate proof, or that's what we Mm -hmm. should be pointing back to. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, the final section of of this book is is uh, quite interesting. It's called Point of Contact. So the phrase "point of contact" is rather ambiguous. Some readers might assume that it uh, simply refers to some uh, common shared interest that the apologist might sh- uh, share with an inquirer, and uh, for the sake of friendship and uh, conversation, an interest that could eventually lead to an opportunity to present the gospel. Oh, I see you're reading the book. do You know, I like books. You know, my favorite book is the Good Book. You know, something <laughs> something very cheesy like that. <laughs> But in theology, chiefly with Barth and Van Til, the phrase has a somewhat more technical meaning. Oh, great. We're getting right. technicalities. All right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have so he says, yeah. So this point of contact issue. he says it, the the issue provoking the use of this phrase is this. And this is kind of the major issue that he wants us to see with regard to this. Granted that the unbeliever is totally depraved. Uh, what is there in the unbeliever, if anything, that is capable of receiving God's grace, right? So if the unbeliever is totally depraved, then how can he receive God's grace, right? Uh And so he gives us three answers, you know, three uh, positions with regard to the answer to this question. The Armenian answer says, well, it's man's reason and free will. That allows him to be able to receive God's grace, right? He can understand it by reason, and he chooses it by free will. That's the Armenian answer. Uh Karl Barth's answer, he tells us, and this is the second answer, is uh, it's nothing at all that uh, you know, <laughs> allows the unbeliever to receive God's grace. He says, in Barth's view, God's grace creates his own point of contact, right? So the Armenian answer is it's the person himself because of their reason and free will they're able to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Barth says they're totally not able to do it. There's nothing in them that's a, that allows for this, and so it's God's grace that creates the the uh, the point of contact. Right. And then, of course, he has a third position. Right. right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, uh, you know. Uh, We're unable to, uh, to, to brag. So the Armenian one seems a a little bit more out there, uh, Barth, uh, uh, sadly we always have to interact I'll with go parts. ahead on and brag <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah not of works yeah. except for i was really special when it came That's to right. i uh, really you know, cuz I, I was smart need, the, yeah I, I only need yeah. the teleological <laughs> viewpoint i didn't need yeah. any of this other cosmological viewpoints yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. and of course i have free will and right. i can choose whatever i want yeah. to do and you know in fact, if I decide to fly today, I can do
1: that because well. <laughs> I have free will. Oh no! Don't talk about nature. Don't you become too Calvinistic? Yeah. And then with, so, with, yeah, with Barth, yeah, there, yeah. there there doesn't seem to be any point to evangelize to people. It just seems to be well, you know, God, you know, God will do what He does. But why is uh, go into the, all the world and preach the good news if 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 right. God God never never needs us as far as 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 the tool that He's using. You know why are we going to evangelize? It's just the, the point of contact will be whatever God chooses in the world. Okay, and the- and, and
0: and we should probably say we you know we kind of making fun of the Armenian answer here, and there are lots of folks
1: that yeah. you know we can make fun of, kind of Barth, of but to- Armenian <laughs> yeah. there's, there's some respect, man
0: yeah. has reason, and we can reason ourselves to God, kind of thing. Uh, you know that's not that's kind of a uh, that's not the real argument that they have, right. but you know again. Uh, it implies that kind of thing right exactly
1: <laughs> all right so the third one is the orthodox calvinist which uh however will recall that god made man in his image an image that is marred by sin but it's not destroyed by sin Bentel argues that the point of the image is knowledge of God, which though repressed, again Romans one, still exists at some level of man's thinking. Again, it's the suppression, and when you suppress, you're still you still are maintaining contact in some fashion with uh, uh, you know we, I, I think we always use the 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 basketball or the beach ball uh, in the pool. We're still having to to push it down under the water before it pops back up and hits us mm-hmm. in the face. We're, but we're still maintaining a point of contact there, and the point of contact for all proof, which is everything. Is our our shared image of God, so this is the point of contact which an apologist should appeal to. He does not appeal merely to an unbeliever's reason and will, because then you just say, "Well, you know, I've, I've reasoned you up to this," but that doesn't seem to be the case with a majority of people. For his will, though, is bound by sin, and his reason seeks to distort, not affirm the truth. So again, right, and so, what do we and so to?
0: Jesus says a person must be born again, right so it's not just dependent on their reason and their will to to convert them right? right uh there has to be a fundamental change in the unbeliever right because their reason and will are bound by sin and their will seeks to distort the truth it seeks to suppress the truth it represses the truth and so how how do we get around that right and so in a sense barth was onto something You know, because uh, there is has to be a fundamental transformation of the person by the Holy Spirit. Right. And in a sense, I mean, we do appeal to reason and and the person's will. Right. So all of that, uh, you know, but uh, the the point I think part of the point I think he's making is these things have been overemphasized. And when we do that, we get into trouble. Right. Right. So the point of contact he's he's arguing here is the image of God. And of course, it includes the, uh, the you know, our ability to reason and that sort of thing. But more importantly, our ability to reason, we usually as unbelievers use it to reason against God, right? It's bound by sin and it seeks to distro- uh, distro- uh, distort, rather, the truth and not affirm the truth. And so yeah. that has to be overcome and that's overcome by the preaching of the word through the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: I think that shows truth too, because, you know, you, you, you read about, oh, you know, here's a, a, a Romanian, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, communist who, uh, is, is in a toilet stall and they've made, uh, you know, the, the Bible into toilet paper, cause they're so low on toilet paper. And he ends up reading the gospel of John from it. And there he, he becomes converted by what he's reading on toilet paper, which to him, uh, you know, is, is just that, but it's, it's the word of God. And so you you don't need the other person to sit there and and argue with you he has the, the word of god uh that is reflecting and 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 being a touchpoint of what of the image of god in him and so it's 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 you know god speaking god's language to, to to what is known and so that that suppression then is lifted and and uh you know truth is revealed uh by a, a, another portion of of who god is and uh, that's uh, through the holy spirit
0: yeah, good. So this distortion, this uh, not affirming the truth, this suppression of truth, uh, leads to the next question that he raises: is how do people suppress the truth of God's revelation? Right? Romans one says that you know the unbeliever suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, and so it actually gives us the answer. Right? It suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Now he says we might be tempted to think of suppression in psychological terms. Right. As when someone, you know, relegates an unwelcome truth to his, you know, subconscious or unconscious. Right. right. That's not what the scriptures teach. That's not the biblical picture. Right. Romans 1 says the oppression is seen in idolatrous worship and illicit sexual behavior. That is the unregenerate deny their knowledge of God by their ethical rebellion. Right. That's how the suppression of truth is is taken uh, is seen. They rebel against God. They they uh you know it's an ethical rebellion. And you know, um Nancy Piercy in her book, Finding Truth, deals with the same kind of issue with regard to what the suppression look like. Hmm. And she comes to a real similar conclusion. She says suppression is the the making of idols, right? And idolatry is is how we suppress the truth. And so she comes to a you know, real similar, uh, position with regard to what Romans one is talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or she says that, uh, you know, people have to deny various aspect of reality in order to, uh, fit the things in the, in the box and the things that are outside the box, uh, you know, they, 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 they don't exist or aren't real, or it's a, it's only your mind making it up, or, uh, you need to use more drugs in order to, to, um, uh, throw off the shackles <laughs> of, of, uh, you know, of, of the old common way. Oh yeah, that's that's uh, that's interesting. So in contrast, when the Bible describes the believer's knowledge, the knowledge is always accompanied by obedience and holiness. John says, and by this we may know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Well, you know, isn't the law done away with? No, the the, the, the law becomes you know is, is there to show us our 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 um, sinful nature. And it's right written then on our hearts, so that we may fulfill the the uh, uh, the the acts or the the understanding of of what things like the Ten Commandments represents. Right, God's
0: it, God's righteous standard. Right, right. I mean, that's yeah. It's there so that we can live it out. Right, that we know it. Now it right. condemns us
1: because we can't do that. Yeah. Right? right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it's
0: it's a good thing because it reflects the character of God and who He is and what He desires. Yes.
1: We here at Cave of the Cross Projects do not support the unhitching of any part of any part of God's word to itself. So <laughs> we, right. we, we have to read all all, you know, 1200 pages or however fine print you get your, your Bible. All right. So the difference between unregenerate and regenerate knowledge of God may be described as ethical. The unregenerate repress uh, represses his knowledge of God by disobeying God. Right, exactly.
0: And so how then can we tell whether an apologist is using a correct or incorrect point of contact, right? Well, it says when someone argues causality, therefore God, right? Is that person appealing to the unbelievers pretension and autonomous knowledge, right? Where they pretend to know and, you know, have the self, you know, um, uh, authority to, to come up with knowledge and that sort of thing. Or is the person speaking to the unbelievers repressed knowledge of the truth, right? So that's kind of the the issue here. You know, he, the, what he wants to address real briefly here. How can we tell whether an apologist is using the correct or incorrect point of contact? If he makes his argument, is he appealing to the unbelievers, uh, you know, pretense of autonomous knowledge where they believe that they know in, uh, on their own? Or is he speaking to the unbelievers' repressed knowledge of the truth? He says, perhaps the major issue in evaluating an apologist is simply whether what the apologist says is true. So that's it, right? Because unless they tell us, we can't divine their motivations, why they're doing what they're doing. So we have to look at what they're saying. Is it true? So if it's true, he tells us then whatever the apologist might think about the point of contact problem his argument will nevertheless address the unbeliever in the right place. Right. And so that's kind of how he ends this particular chapter. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, we have to make sure that we're doing apologetics now in the right way, but also for the right reasons, motivated as we reach out to the unbeliever in an attempt to uh, reach his repressed knowledge of the truth because the unbeliever is made in the image of God, and so that's that's our point of contact. But he says, as long as we, in our apologetic, reach the truth, then we can do that. We automatically do that. That's right. how we. That's how we can overcome this point of contact issue.
1: Right, and again. The reliance is not based on our words, you know, we we don't have to uh, uh, Monday morning quarterback ourselves or have someone critique our hidden cameras of, oh, you know, if you would have just used John 316 this one more time, (laughs) you would have gotten it across the the goal line and and you could have gone for the two point conversion and got them into Calvinism. Oh, so close, so close. (laughs) <laughs> no, we, we rely on the Holy Spirit, and in fact, if you if you watch uh, you know uh, de- debates online of uh, you know Christian atheists, uh, you know g- okay, grant me all the positions. If if God were true, would you still worship him? Uh, and it's like no, uh, I, I I hate your God. Your your God is you know uh, uh, X Y Z or commands uh, you know A B C or what, what whatever it is. Uh, honest people, it, it's it's not about uh, b- belief or unbelief. Again. That's true for for uh, some people, but some people uh, will be honest and say, even if I grant you the the, the proof of existence of God, uh, I, I I hate him, and that's exactly what we see in the Bible. So what are we what are we doing? What do we want to appeal to? We want to use God's word, which is the power of uh, unto salvation uh, for the purposes of changing hearts and minds and so giving them a religious experience, which is a full uh uh rebirth (laughs) that's what the the bible tells us that we all must go through so it's what we've uh for those of us who are believers uh go through ourselves and so um you know it it's it's not enough to just argue the facts and dump them on and say ah i've won i've had more facts and they just can say well no i just it doesn't convince me well all right then you're just being irrational well, yes they are being irrational that that's that's the whole point <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if, if what else if, do you open expect your bible, right? the, the unbeliever <laughs> should say open your bible and turn to romans one and that should be the the conviction right there and so um you know it, it's 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 good to use proof part of the proof is the appeal to to the the uh very factor of of the image of god within that person uh but we also have to understand um exactly how the means of salvation is bestowed upon people and uh, we 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 don't the the purpose and goal of life isn't to uh, just believe God exists. It's to uh, know <laughs> and understand Him and be pleased with Him and view Him as our uh, sovereign Creator. And so that's and have Him pleased
0: with us. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, <laughs> yeah, And we and we want to we want to be uh, considered uh, uh, sons and daughters of Him, uh, lest uh, anything uh, uh, worse than that happens. So so the very fact that we're adopted in is is probably one of the biggest miracles uh considering all the bad things that we said about him uh before before we became uh saved as well yeah
0: yeah good all
1: right so all right uh, so this next, next chapter
0: yeah. is i'm i'm kind of uh you know i really want to <laughs> i'm kind of chafing here at the next chapter because He's going to deal with uh, what he calls the transcendental argument, right? And of course, this is you know, tag. This is one of the major arguments for the presuppositionless uh, position. And so, I'm real curious here as we jump into this one to see what he has to say in this next chapter right. about. Uh, he's entitled Apologetics as Proof: The Transcendental Argument. So right, that is going to be, fun. Yeah. Going to be fun.
1: and so we're not going to waste any time. We're launching into this right now. No, I'm sorry. You're going to have to come back next week to join us (laughs) for the transcendental argument where... Uh, we present, uh, uh, you know, frames, uh, position on this. That'll be uh, definitely interesting, but I do want to say that, uh, you know, we're, we're covering brief aspects of, of this book. There's a lot to it. There's a great benefit to it. I know uh, other people are reading along with us and saying, oh, you should cover this, or you should have made mention this, <laughs> let, yeah. let me make mention of this. We aren't covering everything and you should go out and buy apologetics, a justification for Christian there belief you go. and read it yourself. Cause that's what we're supposed <laughs> to be doing. Add more books yeah. to that bookshelf and have them be less dusty. Those are, those are the two things. That's right. More <laughs> so, and less dust. Yes. So uh, uh, thank you for joining us. Check out all the uh, short clips and everything else that uh, are accompanied uh, to this episode. And uh, we'll see you next time.
0: See you next time.